Well, it's good to be back home. It's always good to get out of the car there about Sydney, Nebraska. You're back in the sand hills, and it's a little bit more like Wyoming again. The sky starts getting big. We enjoyed fireworks all the way back. We came back on Thursday, so kind of all the way back. We missed them here in Laramie, but God was putting his own light show on, and that was amazing to watch too. Did you see that on Thursday night? That was quite a show. Well, this morning I want to, you know, I go sometimes on to seminars and I'd come home all fired up about something and Christy is like, yeah, well, I didn't go. So, so I take the time to say, well, here's what I learned and we went here and then, then we, we, we heard this. And so this morning I thought it'd be good to spend some time in Second Corinthians chapter 5. That is the messages that Sam and I preached there. Grandma requested at her funeral, she had all laid out what she kind of wanted to happen. We sang all Swedish hymns. Did you know how great thou art was a Swedish hymn? It is. And children of the Heavenly Father, and he the pearly gates will open. We just had a, uh, it was a wonderful, it was just an amazing funeral service. Um, My brother Tim started it out by reading the obituary and then adding his own eulogy, which is always fun, because my brother Tim is not necessarily a, a public speaker, but he's always funny. And uh, he had some takes on mom that were very interesting. And then my, uh, when my niece, uh, Becca, got up and she shared her perspective of grandma, what it was like to grow up with around Grandma Martin. And then uh, Bob and Jenny got up and they talked about mom as a pastor's wife. Christy has said before that everything she learned about being a pastor's wife, she learned from my mom. And then uh, she had requested... Myself and David and Sam preach. Well, David wasn't there. He was still in Germany. He couldn't make it over. So Sam and I filled up the time. But it was just a a wonderful time. That church was fuller, literally, than it had been in decades. And uh, the, the great blessing on top of it all was Lynn was able to be there. And Lynn did the graveyard, the, uh, uh, service of the graveyard. And it was just amazing. I'll talk to you about that later, but here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word. Lord, if there is one here today that does not know you, Lord, we don't know hearts, but you do, that you would use the truth of your gospel to draw them to yourself today, that today would be the day of their salvation. And then as we gather around the communion table, they might partake as part of the family, Lord. Give us understanding, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might be more like Jesus for being here today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know, for we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens, we know. God wants his children to know. In much, much of religion, even in Christian religion, there's this idea of the motivation of fear. In fact, some have said that the idea of eternal security is abominable because people just live how they want to live. Well, amen and amen. Because we believe when God comes into your life, when Christ saves you, he changes your want to. So that you want to live to please him. That's in this passage here. 
But Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know. Who know? Those that believe Jesus Christ, those have received him as their own personal Savior, not people who just go to church, learn some rules, learn some doctrines. Those are the people that have hope so religion. Well, I hope. But do you know? Because Paul talks about knowing, and he said in Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them that love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. We know. That's God's blessing in the life of the believer. Jonathan Edwards said that the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is the safest doctrine in all of Christendom. Because we know that nothing gets out of God's hands. Pastor, I was always saying it came through God's hands first. God is in control of everything in our life. And that's why we can be so safe and secure in his hands. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 to say, I know that nothing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In fact, nothing like peril, nakedness, sword, danger, even death can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In fact, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We're secure in his love. God wants his children to be secure in his love. Not this idea that, oh, 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 I might stop loving you if you sin. That's why God's love is different than the way we love one another many times. Our love is conditional. You know, if you do good to me, then I'll be good to you. God loved us in spite of ourselves. The Bible says that he died for his enemies. He died for sinners, not for good people. People have been standing up all day at the funeral talking about how good Eunice was and how all these wonderful things she did. And Sam started out, his first sentence was, Eunice was a sinner. Lynn and I have been to funerals this last year of old friends that we've known that have passed. And you'd think, listen to those people giving the testimonies. Those people are in heaven because they were so good. Nobody goes to heaven because they're good. People only go to heaven... Because they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and they have submitted to the gospel and received Jesus Christ their Savior so that his blood washes away their sin. But do we believe it? I've said this a couple times in the last few weeks. Francis Chan said, in our prayer meetings, we spend more time as believers trying to pray people out of heaven than we do pray or pray, yeah, pray people out of heaven than we do pray people out of hell. The worst thing that happened to a believer is not dying and going to be with the Lord. That's graduation. But here's the deal: do we really believe it? Or are these just words? The Bible says we do sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. Do you have that knowledge today? And what is that based on? Based on the fact, well, I've done some things. I've been baptized and, and uh, you know, I go to church and I know some stuff. So when I get to the gates of heaven, there'll be some questions. I can answer the questions. No, that's not what the Bible says in this passage. You, you are either known as a part of the family of God or not. Let's see what he says. For we know that if the earthly tent, this body, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Have you thought about that? 
with all the stuff that you have to take, you know, the, uh, um, the devil is in the microphones. All the things you have to take for health, medicines to keep you healthy, and then you work hard, maybe you eat and you try to exercise to try to, you know, put off what's coming. Point is, you're still going to get old. But in heaven, you have an eternal body that's perfect. You're still going to eat. You're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, so you're going to eat stuff. The heaven, the, the New Jerusalem is filled with all kinds of trees to partake of, but you don't have to worry about your waistline because your body is for eternity. And we could spend a lot of time talking about what that was like. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was able to pass through walls and just show up places. And yet, they could touch him. How's that possible? That's the eternal body. You're going to get one of those one day. My friend Matt Miller used to give some of his buddies a hard time. He'd pick some, you know, fat guy out, and he'd say, oh, there's your millennial body over there. Being funny. No, our millennial body is perfect. It's exactly what God intended it to be and to last for all eternity. But in the meantime, these bodies, they groan, don't they? They groan. And the older they get, the more they groan. For indeed, this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this body... We groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed. It's not that we want to die. No Christians have death wishes. They desire to be with the Lord. They desire to have that new life that lasts for eternity, that new body. For indeed, while we have this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. People have said to me, oh, so sorry about your mom. Okay, what do we believe? Now, we had the privilege to sit by my mom's bed from Monday to Friday. And we sang hymns to her. She was in a coma because she had a, a stroke. And that last stroke they showed us, it took 25% of her brain. So for her to wake up again, would be a totally bad situation. She wouldn't be able to speak or move. And so we were praying the Lord, just take mom home. That's what we were praying. God answered our prayer. And so we were there, and it reminded me in that one Swedish song that we sang, the hymn, He the Pearly Gates Will Open. And the last verse says, When at even time at twilight, at his door I'll knock and wait. That's what mom was doing all week. She was knocking on heaven's door. By the precious blood of Jesus, I will enter heaven's gate. That's what she did. And when she died, she didn't pass into darkness. She went from darkness of sleep into glorious light and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, for believers, the greatest thing about heaven is not seeing family there that have gone there ahead of us. It's not the fact that we'll have this wonderful body and health and eternity and the beauties of heaven and the new Jerusalem and all that God's going to create in the new heavens and new earth. The best thing about heaven, if you know Jesus, is Jesus. That's the best thing. 
Verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. That's why you know. Unbelievers don't know. They have come to the service of believers and I share the gospel and they're ticked. Why? They don't want to think about that. One young man who had been in our youth group and I guess never been saved came to one of those such memorial services and afterwards he said to our friend Jeff Brown, well, that was inappropriate <laughs> to talk about the Lord Jesus, to talk about death. Why? Because he didn't want to think about it. Today, people don't even have funerals because they just don't want to think about it and they don't want anybody else thinking about it either. We as believers have those memorial services, have funerals because we rejoice there were unsaved people that came to my mom's funeral. We're so thankful for that because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, I'd rather go to a house of mourning than a house of rejoicing and feasting because that's every man's end and everybody's thinking about where they're going. At least when they're at a funeral, they're thinking, what about me? Do you know to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord? Because believers, because we have the Holy Spirit, you have his life, you just know that. Verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Sam preached this passage, and he used the illustration of being a little kid we would get in the Suburban, and we're off to see Grandma and Grandpa in Illinois. That was most of our vacations. We didn't have money for vacations, but so we'd go home and live at Mom and Dad's house or the aunts and uncles, and the kids would see all their cousins. And Sam said, you know, we'd leave usually late at night or early in the morning, and he would fall asleep thinking, when I wake up, we'll be almost there. And he said, I'd wake up, and I'd say, Dad, are we there? And I'd say, no, we're in Nebraska. Nebraska's so long. It's over half the trip. Just getting through Nebraska. And he said it was so long and we're there. We're never going to get there. And finally, we get to Meridian Road. And we pull up Flora Road. And there's Grandma and Grandpa. And they come out to meet us. He said, I had no desire to get back in the suburban. Because we were home. So when you really believe and you know that your loved ones who've known Jesus are with heaven, you don't want them back. We sorrow because of our loss, not because of their gain. Mom doesn't want back in her body. And that little body that was left there in the casket, she doesn't look like that anymore. She stepped into life. Come with me now to verse 15 of the same chapter. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, now we know him in this way no longer. Some of you still know Jesus according to the flesh. You know about a religious figure or this person that you heard died on a cross and all of that. But do you know him personally? Because when you know him personally, you're a different person. And everything in life has changed. Your perspective of life changes when you know Christ. You get a total different set of values. We're not talking about church, denomination, religion. We're talking about a personal relationship with Christ. 
Everything changes. It says, then you no longer live for yourself, but for him who died and rose again on your behalf. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. My sins were nailed to the cross. He died. He took the wrath of God for my sins. And then he rose again so that he might give us life. We no longer live for themselves. The Bible says in the chapter before, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, that we don't preach ourselves. We are now ministers of a new covenant. It says here as we read further, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things come. We have a whole new different motivation. Now, my mom did a lot of things about duty. Jenny got up and talked about the fact that she was the youngest. She was way after me. I think I was 14 when she was born. And so I didn't really know my sister growing up very much. But she says, well, I had the best upbringing because my mom had learned patience by that time. And she talked about her patience. I knew nothing about that woman. Because my mom was about, you learn to make your bed. You make your bed every day. It was about, you get your stuff done. I'm thankful for that. That orneriness that my mother had gave me fiber in my backbone. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I had to learn not to be ornery just like her, but that was good too. But I started by saying, well, now we know what's wrong with Jenny. Too much patience, right? Those that knew Jenny were like, what? Mom did a lot of things about duty. She was a faithful pastor. She loved my dad. Her whole life was about my dad and serving him and being a pastor's wife and making a pastor's home, and so she cleaned. Now, but you believe this, my Norwegian grandma said, well, Eunice is not the housekeeper I was. <laughs> oh, that just fried my mom. She was always cleaning. One time, Bob Jones III from Bob Jones University was coming to uh, preach at one of their high school's uh, graduations. So I find my mom upstairs. I'm an adult by this time, out of the army, I think. And she's upstairs cleaning out the inside of the humidifier that we only use in the winter. And I said, Mom, you really think he's going to come upstairs and check the inside of the humidifier? Well, you never know. I didn't think he was even coming upstairs. There's no reason to go upstairs. But Mom, about her duty was always doing those things and teaching us an example. And it wasn't always fun, but it was right. Oh, we learned how to clean the house fast because people love to show up in Wyoming. We live there and not tell us they were coming so they could surprise us. And as a kid, I thought that was great. Not so great if you're the mom. And my wife has trained me that. Not just invite people over because I thought that's what my dad did I th because I learned that from the house. They're always inviting me over. I grew up in Lynn's family on the ranch. And so I thought that was the greatest thing. Just invite people over. Mom, just handle it. Little did I know. I had a lot to learn. Christy trained me a lot. At least give me a warning. People would show up, and she'd look out the window and says, Company's here. Get this place cleaned up. She had this one side table that was like a box. Everything went in that box. And then Mom would go, Well, it's so good to see you. Places just bulging where stuff got put away. There's a lot of things mom did because of duty and because it was right. But being an ambassador for Christ wasn't because of duty. And when you hear us talking about sharing the gospel, we're not trying to share a duty with you. That's your opportunity. 
That is the joy of ministry, sharing the gospel. Growing up in my home, the great joy was having missionaries and evangelists and other pastors there, and they would sit up late, and we'd sit up late as we, want, as we could and listen to the stories of how God was working in lives and bringing people to themselves. And we got the privilege, more than the church did, to hear those other stories and to hear the story of how my grandpa Berlin didn't get saved till he was 30, but he got saved when evangelists came to his town in Minnesota. He was a farmer and a lumberjack, and he heard the gospel, and he got saved. And all of my life, the great joy of my grandpa Berglund's life, whether he was pastoring or his evangelist, was to share the gospel and see people come to know Jesus Christ. The last person he talked to on this earth, he had a heart attack when he was out in meetings, I think in Carlston, Minnesota. And uh, the last person he talked to in his life was a nurse in the hospital. He shared the gospel, then he died and went home to be with the Lord. What a legacy! What an opportunity. So it wasn't duty. There's some things that we do out of duty, but the gospel's not one of them. That is the joy. They said that everybody that came into my mom's hospital room, she'd ask them, are you saved? Do you know where you're going when you die? And I don't ever think of my mom as a great evangelist, but in our home, that was the standard of joy, people coming to Christ. And probably one of the great joys of Ralph and Eunice's whole life was when Lynn Howe came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. We moved to Wheatland. Lynn was the captain of the football team. He was student body president. And my dad told my mom, well, I guess maybe we got here too late. And at the first youth activity my dad had in the cottonwood fields there in the hay fields, dad shared the gospel and Lynn Howe accepted Christ. That's why it's such a joy for Lynn to be there at my mom's home going. And we had the most powerful graveside service I think I've ever experienced because Lynn preached it. And my dad is having problems with his memory now, dimensions taking him, so pray for him, will you? We want to bring him here and I want him to have ministry again. He's such a godly man. He's such a kind, quiet man. And I don't know how much my dad got anything else, but he was with Lynn every single word. It was supernatural. He was weeping, and he was smiling, and he was saying amen. And some of the verses he was quoting right along with Lynn. It was just precious, wasn't it, Lynn? Amazing. The joy of the ministry is the gospel, folks. And when I talk about sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel, I'm not trying to give you a duty to do. I want you in on the joy. Because the greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy you can know is when you see somebody come know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Give their lives to him. And it changes everything. I don't know what path Lynn was on before, probably to be a businessman. God changed his whole direction. Next thing you know, he's a senior in high school. He's going to Bible college. And he met Peggy and they got married. Then they go to seminary. And then after being our youth pastor for three years in, in Illinois, 43 years seeing people come to Christ. The joy of the gospel. The Bible says here, Now all these things, verse 18, are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. See, that's it. Isn't that amazing news? That God doesn't count our sin against us? You can't work your sin off. You can't do some good stuff to make up for it. 
And you can never be good enough to equal the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why this is good news. Salvation is a free gift. And he gave us that same ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God has given us this great opportunity. He could have used angels. But he didn't. He chose you and I to be the ambassadors. Now the question is not, as a born-again Christian today, are you an ambassador or not? It's whether or not you're a good ambassador. That's the question. You say, well, I don't know much. Well, do you represent? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Has he forgiven your sin and not counted your sin against you? That's something to share. You have a home prepared in heaven. My mother's favorite passage of scripture was John 14, 1 through 6. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare you a place. Isn't that amazing? A place for you. Now, when I walk into my wife's home, I know she's there because she's decorated because that's her. That's her personality all over the walls, the Bible verses, the paintings. She's decorated the house. Jesus, the bridegroom, is preparing a place for his bride of which you are a part. And when you get to that place that's prepared, you're going to go, wow, does he know me or what? I go to prepare a place for you. And you know the way. And Thomas says, we don't know the way. We don't know the way you're going, Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Not through church, not through religion, but through Christ. And you will either be welcomed into heaven, or you will hear the saddest words a human being can ever hear at the great white throne judgment. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, it's not that God didn't know about you. He didn't know you as part of the family because you never submitted to the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Paul brought the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith. That's what the gospel is, submitting to the gospel. You may know the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Have you submitted it to it? How do I do that? Jesus' invitation was this. If any man would come after me, you want to be a follower of Christ, let him deny himself. Your religion, your good works, they count for nothing. They're just filthy rags in God's sight. That's his words. Deny yourself. Take up his cross and follow me. You own his life and everything that's going to mean. And you follow him. Where was Jesus going? He was going to the place of crucifixion. You're just following him. Wherever he leads. But at the end, Romans 9 said, whatever little thing you suffer in this world because you follow Jesus cannot be compared to the weight of glory that you will have in heaven. But what do you believe? When your children die, like my children have died, does that just cause you to grieve the rest of your life? Then you don't believe. You don't believe. That's the problem. Your parents pass away and go be the Lord and you're walking around grieving, tripping over your lip, then you don't believe. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. They're in the full glory of life for all eternity. They're not looking back over 
the precipice of heaven saying, oh, I wish it was back there. No, they are so taken up with their Savior. Next thing you know, you're there because they're in eternity, right? There's no time. They're like, oh, I wonder how long it's going to be till my wife shows up. No, it's eternity. Next thing you know, they're standing there going, did you see that? And you're there. What do you believe? My children that are in heaven already, I'll recognize them because the Bible says we're going to know as we are known, but they were babies when they died. How will I know? That's the supernatural part of being a believer in heaven. You're just going to know. Just like Peter, James, and John knew who Elijah and Moses was. They'd never seen pictures of them before when they showed up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They just knew them. And my baby boys are full-grown men in heaven. And they're going to say, hey, Dad, where you been? So our goal here is not to hold on to life, but to hold on to Jesus and be focused about faithfulness. What we read this morning in Psalm 37, cultivate faithfulness because the goal of life is to hear from Jesus, well done. First of all, do you know him? Secondly, what kind of an ambassador are you? Are you a reflection of his grace and holiness, of his love, so other people can find the way, the truth, and the life? Father, we thank you for your word. How precious it is that you who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the word right there. And Lord, use your words the gospel. If there are any here that do not know you, to draw them to yourself, that as family members, they might gather around the table today. And then, Lord, we look forward to that day in the great arena of worship, when together with all the saints and angels and all the creatures, we'll worship you and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. On them be glory and power and wisdom and might. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.